Good morning. Uh, I just, first of all, welcome. Thank you for coming. Welcome to those, our congregation watching online. I just, before the sermon starts, I've got to ask Emily, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being totally accurate, how accurate was that video in your house? 12, all right. If you said anything lower than a nine, I was going to ask your kids sitting next to you for the real answer. Uh, Isn't it true that that video is probably highly accurate for a lot of us, isn't it? Because you've had those mornings. Maybe this morning was one of those mornings. Don't don't raise your hands. But we've all had them. And and I just, as I watched it, I actually exhaled a little bit and went, okay, somebody else goes through that. I I mean, I, I think about what it takes just to get our family you're just ready for church. I mean, Kara, Kara needs like a large, large coffee, okay? And she's good. You know, Lainey, if it was up to her, probably ripped jeans and church starting at 11 and she'd be ready for church. You know, true, if, as long as she knew her friends were here, she'd be ready for church in Lincoln. Probably a donut and, and a fresh pair of undies and he's good to go, to be honest. In fact, come to think of it, I think that's mine too. I'm sorry for that mental image. Let's keep going. So, um, but it's just really interesting that for all the getting ready we do to get our bodies, our physical presence to church, it's entirely possible we could show up to church and the heart could not yet be ready. Because instead of asking the question, am I ready for church? You know what often sits in the heart is, is the church ready for me? And when we ask that question, in some way, in some form, you know what happens? We, we bring an individual focus into the place that ought to have God's focus, a God focus. And we bring our preferences into a place where God says, I want you to pour out from, from what I've gifted you with. And we can bring this perception of, of unmet individual needs into the place where every single week, that image of the cross should remind us that Jesus met our deepest need there. But as long as the question sits in the heart, is the church ready for me? The church needs to be ready for me. Three things will be true. Number one, no church will ever, ever, ever be good enough. No church will ever be good enough. Number two, we will always overlook what Jesus is doing right in front of us as he builds his church, as he promised he would do. And finally, we will attach more priority and more emphasis and more significance to that individual side of us than we ought to. We'll prioritize the individual part of our identity as the highest level of identity. And that's a lie. It's a lie. In fact, we've said it here before, that when it comes to church, a part of is greater than a part from. Yes, you have an an individual identity, and yes, I have one. But if you are in Christ, you actually have as part of your identity something far greater than the individual component. You are part of the body of Christ. I mean, I think of it like, like our children. You know, Lainey is Lainey, and she brings her personality through the door. And true is, is true. She brings her personality through the door, and Lincoln brings his personality through the door. But they are Harrisons as well, which means some things. It means tall, dark, and handsome, for starters, all right? Actually, it means short, white, and amazing, but we'll talk about that another time, Okay. But when you think about it like that, you know what that means? It means that perhaps in every single one of us, because we all gravitate toward that individualism, it means that in every single one of us, there may be some rough edges of individualism and individuality, uh, individuality that might need to be smoothed out. 
And when you think about that, you begin to see some things in Jesus' teachings as he walked this earth, as he taught multitudes or as he interacted with people one-on-one. Because when you look at what he was up to, isn't it easy for us to read it with just an individual lens? And we think, well, that's, this is how I take it and this is how I interpret it and, and it's me and it's my faith and, and we kind of like, we put it right there. And yet when you look at his conversations, it is clear he was getting people ready for what was going to come. I mean, there were synagogues when he walked around, but the church, as Paul would later describe it, had not yet been established. And so when you look at how Jesus interacted with people and his teachings, it's clear that he had church in mind, even if it hadn't been established the way Paul would later describe it after it had been established. We know this because in Matthew chapter 16, right in the middle of Matthew, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples and he says, who do people say that I am? And Peter speaks up and he says, well, you're, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. And Jesus says, listen, you didn't come to this conclusion. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. You didn't come to this conclusion. It was revealed to you. And on this rock, Peter, on that proclamation that you just made, that I'm the Savior, I'm the Messiah, on that rock, I will build, and then he used the word, I will build my church. See, Jesus was getting them ready for church. And Peter would later be part of that church. He would be part of leading that church because Jesus was getting him ready for church. And Jesus, when you look around and when you interact with his word, you know what's there? He's getting you ready for church. He's getting me ready for church. He's getting all of us ready for what he's doing as he continues to build and build and build his church. And so for the next month, month and a half, that's where we're going to be. That's where we're going to be. We're going to look at what Jesus was up to before the church, as Paul described it, showed up. Jesus was actually addressing some things, some things that we, we would be wise to look at, some things in us that still come up a couple thousand years later where individualism wants to creep in. Jesus addresses some things there. Now, if you were to go back to the beginning of Matthew and look at where Jesus started, yeah, it's, this won't be an exhaustive list over the next month, month and a half here, but there are some things that Jesus addressed. And when you look at where he started, it's very interesting because he started with the idea, Matthew chapter four tells us he was preaching the good news of the kingdom, the kingdom. And, and it wasn't just that the, the kingdom existed, the kingdom of God existed. Jesus was preaching that the kingdom of God had come near. And so he began to describe the the first teaching words that Matthew gives us in Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. We know it as, you may know it as the Beatitudes. But Jesus, you know what he says? He describes those people of the kingdom. And he says, blessed. He uses the word blessed. Now, many of us use that word. And we all have probably our own definition when we use the word blessed. We think of things like happy. And you could call it happy, but it's more than happy. Some of us would maybe say delighted. And it it could be delighted, but it's more than delighted. So I want to read to you what Jesus describes is blessed. It's just the beginning of each beatitude. Look at this list. It'll it'll be up on the screen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 says this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit. Blessed are those 
who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, I don't know about you, but as you read that list, would you call your life blessed if that described you? I don't know many of us that wake up in the morning and we go, I'm aiming for that. I'm aiming for that right there. I mean, I don't know anybody who has that as priority number one on the radar. I mean, I read it and honestly, I I think, okay, some of those are, a couple of those are noble and they're virtuous, but a lot of my days, as I look back, I realize I spend a lot of time devising a plan to avoid landing in that spot. And yet, you know what Jesus says? Blessed. And you, you know, if, you, if you've lived long enough in here, you know that this list is going to come for every single one of us, isn't it? Because isn't it true that life has kicked you? And it's kicked you beyond a point of self-sufficiency where you suddenly, you find yourself very poor in spirit. And you find yourself mourning. And there's a meekness that comes along with that. And there's a hunger and a thirst for something beyond your own capabilities and your own power that comes with that. Yeah, it happens. It happens all the time. And Jesus is getting at something here. He's saying, listen, blessed, blessed is tied not to the building up of our individual kingdoms. Blessed is tied to the crumbling of them, to the breaking down of our kingdoms. In fact, I want us to do something together here real quick. I want you to imagine You're about to go on a journey by foot, okay? And you're going to pack a bag. We're all going to pack a bag before we go. Now, I want you to think about your individual kingdom, okay? And this, again, won't be an exhaustive list right here. But think about some of the things or the symbols of things you would put in there, okay? There are those things that, uh, there are those people that we depend on, right? You've got some faces that are, they're just very close-knit and they're the people you can confide in. So let's just put them in there. I know, this is a weird, this is a weird daydream here right now. You're going to put people in this bag, okay? Just put a couple of them in there. Maybe there's some achievements and accomplishments, some degrees that you put in there. You know, perhaps this is just a random example I'm pulling out of thin air, but, you know, your, your trophy from being the back-to-back spelling bee champion, 1991-92 Dutch Creek Elementary School. Just sorry, hypothetical situation, but you know, you could throw that in there. There are those comforts that you put in there. Double stuff Oreos and milk, everybody, right? You know, you've got those comforts that you have. Maybe you've got a weapon you'd put in there. And it would symbolize all that you do to defend and to keep people at arm's length. That would go in there. And of course, some tools. Because don't we all have some things we rely on to build our own kingdom? That ability, that skill, that way of life, that way of interacting with people, it it builds. Now, you throw all that in there. You got tools. Maybe you've got dumbbells to represent the things that make you stronger. You've got some people. You've got some awards. You've got some accomplishments. But don't forget, you got some burdens too. You've got some things that just aren't quite working out. And it's hard to even put an an object to it. But you know you'd throw some sort of weight in there because you know how much those burdens weigh on you. Now, about to go on a journey. 
So how much can you imagine this bag weighs as you put it on your back? And how far do you think you're, can you imagine getting? I mean, for most of us, I don't think we can get more than 10 steps imagining that on our backs. Yeah, it's what we do. And yet this is the point Jesus is making. Will you let go of your kingdom? Would you just let go of it? Would you allow it to crumble? And I know that's difficult, but maybe not so difficult for some in this room. Because if you've come to Jesus, or if you've listened to somebody who's come to Jesus, these Beatitudes right here, the beginnings of them, does it not describe what you go through when you come to Jesus? You know, when life kicked you so hard that suddenly you went, oh, I... I'm poor in spirit. I don't have any self-sufficiency about me anymore. And then you begin to mourn because you begin to realize that the way you've gone about life, it's led to grief, hasn't it? And there is a meekness. There's a gentle teachability that begins to show up that acknowledges I don't have all the answers. There's a hunger and a thirst for something more than my own efforts. There's mercy begins to get get in there because I know how how merciful he was with me when I came to him. And you could walk all the way through this list and you know what it would be? It would be the testimony of somebody who's come to Jesus. Now, that's still hard. It's still hard to see that the first word of this is blessed because you think, how is that blessed, Jesus? And so now what I want to do is just read each beatitude in its entirety and I want to show you something. Because after my kingdom and after your kingdom has been broken down and it has crumbled and Jesus has said, just let it go and you do it, something happens. Listen to the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Do you see what's happening here? See, when you go through the first part of the beatitude, there's an emptying, isn't there? And there's a breaking down and there's a crumbling that does not, it just does not feel good. And what it is, is it's an emptying. But when you look at the second half of each beatitude, you know what it is? It's a filling. It's a filling. And do you notice it's a filling with a substance far greater than anything that was there before could do. It's a filling of a different kind of substance. But the other thing I want you to notice is that there's this very real sense of, and you see it throughout these Beatitudes, the six of these eight that we just read say, will be. Blessed are those, for they will be. And there's this future thinking that we jump to. We think, oh, one day, right? We all get it. We look around the world now and we think, well, one day, one day the kingdom of heaven will fully fill me up and everything will be all good. But Jesus says, blessed are. Present tense. Right now. Today. As in right now, you walk in a world that is is broken and it hasn't yet been fully redeemed. And and there's a whole lot 
that is crumbling. And Jesus says, you're blessed right now. See, I have to think that the people in that day who heard his teaching in real time probably thought like you and I do. One day, one day, yeah, Jesus, this is great. This is real comforting for one day. This is something I can tuck away in the deep recesses of my heart. And I'll just know it's there. You know, grandma embroidered this passage and we put it up on a frame on the wall and uh, it's real nice in grandma's house. I'll think about it when I come to that. But Jesus, he brackets this first beatitude and this last beatitude with this. Blessed are those who are persecuted for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God is real time right now. See, does it cross our minds that he gave us access when he did what he did at the cross and we trusted in that? Does it cross our minds that he gave us access to everything he's describing could fill us right now? See, that begins to change some things, doesn't it? See, blessed is tied to the crumbling and the breaking down of our kingdoms. But here's why. When I'm emptied of my kingdom, I can be filled with his. When I will allow him to empty me and break down and crumble my own kingdom, I can be filled with him in his kingdom. There's a man named Bernard of Clairvaux. Bernard of Clairvaux, he, uh, he, it's just become one of my favorite quotes. I want to read this to you. He says, the one who is wise, therefore, will see their life as more like a reservoir than a canal. The canal simultaneously pours out what it receives. The reservoir retains the water until it is filled, then discharges the overflow without loss to itself. And that right there is why our kingdom's crumbling is so painful. Because we sense a loss to ourselves. Bernard of Clairvaux would say, but... For those whose life is like a reservoir, you're so full, you overflow. He says, today there are many in the church who act like canals. The reservoirs are far too rare. You too must learn to await this fullness before pouring out your gifts. Do not try to be more generous than God. Can you hear it in there? Can you hear it in his quote? And can you hear it in the Beatitudes? It's about capacity. It's about capacity, not efficiency. See, we think in terms of efficiency. And so when something gets in my way and my strategy and my formula or whatever it is, we think, ah, my kingdom is crumbling. Jesus says, no matter. Let me just just fill you up. Fill you up with everything that my kingdom's about. And you'll pour from a different place. And you'll pour out of the overflow and with a different capacity. And when he has cultivated that within us, those first eight beatitudes, then verses 11 and 12 happen. Let me read to you Matthew chapter five, verse 11 and 12. Blessed, look at the change here, are you. Not those, not somebody else, that's great for them. Blessed are you. When people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And then there's this, rejoice. What? Rejoice, like usually I'm fretting when my kingdom's crumbling. No, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, we have a term for that and it's not blessed. See, we walk around in a culture that for generations has called it something else, victimized. Don't we call it victimized or victimhood? And what we think is, gosh, they're, they're, taking 
my kingdom away. They're attacking me. They're getting at me and I'm losing it all. And I've become a victim. And the thing about victimhood is it can be manufactured pretty easily, but there are some legitimate cases of people who have been victims too. I remember growing up and I'd go to the amusement park and I remember the height requirement to get on the roller coaster. Not that I went that many times, but I was always like this much lower and I thought I'm a victim. I'm a victim, right? We can all make ourselves into victims, but there are legitimate victims. In, in 1917, 1917, the Russians, or I'm sorry, the communists took over Russia. And what they did is they began to actually persecute churches. But what they did is they didn't make Christianity illegal. Instead, they did something far more brilliant. You know what they did? They took away the church's ability to serve. That place where the church actually had some power, the state took it away. And so they wouldn't allow the church to feed the hungry or house the homeless or educate children any longer, as they had been doing. And over the next 70 years, the church largely became irrelevant. But if you were to look at some writings from that time in Russia, in church history, you know what you, you, know what you hear accounts of? There's this statement that keeps coming up. They took. They took. Now, I want you to just think about that for a minute. Is that not the prevailing wind of our culture? They took. And we begin to point at other people and we begin to feel less because somebody took something from us. They took. I mean, right now, just on a personal level, you got a face in mind who took from you, an organization in mind who took from you, an ideology that as you read about it, as you see it, you think they took from you? Here's the thing. When you read the Beatitudes, I don't get the sense that Jesus says I or they took. I don't get the sense at all that he says they took. Here we are a century later, and churches have been emptied. COVID, whether directly or indirectly, has emptied churches. It has emptied shopping malls. It has emptied restaurants, but it's done more than that. It's emptied our hearts, hasn't it, if we've allowed it? It's emptied some attitudes. It's emptied our outlook on life. It's emptied some relationships. We can feel the effect of it. And it's all too easy for us to go, they took, they took. But if you were to go to Jesus, you know what scripture tells us? Jesus, they took your life. It was illegal. It was unfair. It was wrong. They took. You know what Jesus would say? No, no, no. I gave. I gave. And we know that because just before the halfway mark of Luke, you know what we read? That Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. And he went to the cross and he chose the cross for the joy set before him. You know how that happens? Because he was absolutely filled to overflowing with the kingdom of God. There was nothing any structure in this world could take from him. And so when Jesus gave, he gave. Nobody took. And see, that is what he's getting at here. If, if you will allow Jesus, if you allow him to empty your kingdom, to break it down, and to cultivate his kingdom and fill you up with it, then there is no kingdom in this world that can come against it. There is no kingdom that can, that can attack anything inside of you. And that's why he says, you can rejoice and be glad. 
because all other kingdoms no longer have any power. There's just simply no room when you're overflowing with his. Now, as I look at the Beatitudes, I think the other reason it's, it's nice to think of them as just embroidery up on grandma's wall is because there's really no exhortation to go do anything in them. I mean, you read them and it's like, okay, so what do you want me to do with that? I mean, that's the question we all sit with. What do we do? And I think that's the point right there. I mean, if there were ever a starting point to getting ready for church, it's the reminder that it doesn't start with our doing. It starts with his. And so as we step forward in the weeks ahead, I think maybe the best place for us to start would just be a prayer. A prayer that says this, Lord, empty me of my kingdom and fill me with yours. Lord, just empty me of my kingdom and fill me with yours because this is not anything any of our striving gets us to. He's got to do it. He's got to do it. And the only way it happens is time in his presence. It's why we spent four or five weeks talking about time with Jesus because he's getting us ready for church. And so as the worship team comes back up, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, uh, we know over and over and over that you are a God. I mean, we, as much as we fight to avoid the tearing down and the crumbling of our own kingdoms. We know that you're a God who you'll allow it, but because you're present in it. You don't allow it because you wanna get back at us, because you wanna punish us. You allow it because you know what you wanna fill us with. And so the prayer we just prayed is a prayer that I ask that you would write on our hearts. Would you remind us, we're not victims, we're actually victors as a result of the wisdom you gave us in the Beatitudes. That when we're poor in spirit, we can walk next to those who are poor in spirit because we've been filled with yours. Would you remind us that when we walk next to those who mourn, we can do it because we do it with the comfort we ourselves have received. That when we come before you and, and it's just meek, we can be meek because you were gentle with us when we came to you. That hungering and thirsting for your righteousness is something that honestly causes us to not have to just crave the appetites of culture anymore, the, the changing appetites, that we can have mercy by not condemning or blaming wrongs when we see them, but we can have mercy by serving with compassion, that we can be pure in heart and we can look for the things of God instead of finding every wrong and every triviality inside somebody and inside our, the world around us. That we can be peacemakers. That we can see other people as brothers and sisters to be loved into wholeness instead of, instead of rivals to diminish. And finally, we can go forward knowing we'll be persecuted because we don't conform to the majority, but because you walked that path first. And so you give us, you fill us with your kingdom. We ask that you'll write that on our hearts this week. Empty us, empty us of our kingdoms. Fill us with yours. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.